Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, it's crazy. We're already past the 4th of July here, and, you know, we're, we're cruising through summer here. Yeah, before you know it, it'll be football season. Hey, that, you know? that'll be fun. Isn't it exciting? That is exciting. I don't know how exciting that'll be for us, but we'll see. Oh, we're, yeah, right. You guys are in the top two again uh, in Alabama. I don't know. I yeah. haven't seen it. Is it? Are we? That's yeah. good. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clemson, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, maybe we... Can reload with DJ and all those guys. Yeah, and be back. Yep. Yeah. yeah, British Open. Got the British Open yep. this week. Um, yeah, going on right now, and um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Royal St George over in uh, over in Europe. Different, and, different uh, golf. Different golf over there. Yeah, it's hard, fast, and you know they'll be using a lot of four irons off the tee, just yeah. trying to keep it from rolling in one of those deep pop pop bunkers. Yeah, those are those are fun to watch. Those guys try to hit it out. It is. Sometimes they go the opposite way. It is fun. <laughs> it is fun. Speaking of fun, you know, we got some good topics to talk about today. We're going to review, um, kind of revisit the uh, Dave Ramsey baby steps, mm. the seven baby steps. Yep. You know, and I mean, the beauty of these is they're so simple, John. It really just helps to focus people on what's important in your financial life and uh, how to be successful. And so I think it's worth reviewing those. We, we cover them from time to time, talk about them from time to time. Um, but we're going to go through the seven and just talk about, you know, how they apply today. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Uh, that's it's brilliant what he what he put together there. And then we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about five estate planning mistakes to avoid. And uh, Steve, it, you know, we, we both work with a lot of folks that are on their second marriages, um, sometimes uh, due to uh, divorce, sometimes due to death. And we see some, you know, some pretty big mistakes there. So you want to take a listen to this. Um, even if you're on your, your first marriage or you're single, you want to make sure you, you do these uh, estate planning um, tips uh, as well. So this really is a, uh, applicable to everyone. But uh, a lot of mistakes out there, and it really is around beneficiaries. And we'll go into more detail in a couple minutes. Yeah, it's really easy to neglect that stuff. So that's those are really important. So stay tuned for that for sure. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 26 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can listen to uh, this week's podcast. You can download it to your iPhone or Android. I also have a lot of really good tools on the website. If you've never been out there, go check it out. Uh, we've we've uh, spent some time on putting some resources out there, and we also have a Facebook page, Money MD. We put a prescription out there every single week, and all of our old shows are accessed, you know, yeah. by by topic, you know. So I mean, hundreds of shows. I was actually listening to uh, the pandemic one. It was the. Um, uh, the week after the low of the market, so the end of March yeah, okay. last year, just re-listening to that, and it was it was fun to listen to. We've come a long way. It's amazing in a year how things have changed. Yeah, it really has. Uh, but yeah, that was that was quite uh, an interesting time. It was. It was. It really was. So that's good. Yeah, and you can link to us there on our website as well, moneymd.net. We'd love to hear your questions. You can uh, send us those, and we will talk about those right here on the show. But we're going to start off here, John, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, uh, a recent study, Steve, showed that uh, 47.8% of statistics are made up on the spot. 
Yeah, 47.8. Oh, I mean, that's 32%. Oh, I'm you sorry. Did, you just made it's, that uh, up, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did. So, um, you know, you got to be careful with stats. I mean, you know, people throw out numbers and so forth, and you got to remember that data can be manipulated in a lot of different ways um, to, to tell a story. So, um, the reality is, is um, y- you know, you got to go to trusted sources. I know for me, right. you know, there's some some industry resources that are very solid. Morningstar is one of them. Right. I think is uh, you know is is um, they use data basically. DFA is another one as well. So be careful with statistics and headlines and things like that because um, you know the the numbers you can kind of sometimes can manipulate numbers to show a different story. Well, and they take them out of context. Yes. You know, they don't have to tell you the whole story. They're telling you part of the story, a little snippet that they want you to assume is the whole truth, and it rarely is, you know. And we see that with returns as well. People will talk about a time period that's a very short-term time period, how well something's done. doesn't tell you the whole picture. It yep. doesn't tell you how much risk is involved. That's right. Liquidity. So, liquidity. There's a lot of factors you got to take into consideration. So I like to look at more than one source. Really, you know, try to get a a big picture mm-hmm. of the whole truth, and that's that's so that's a great fact of the week because it is very very true. Data can be very deceiving. Yes, you know, so be careful. All right, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the Dave Ramsey baby steps. Um, this comes right off of Dave Ramsey's website, RamseySolutions.com, very recently, John. But you know, I mean, we've been talking about the Dave Ramsey baby steps for years. Because we know they work, and they're and they're very simple. You know, it's a simple way to get people on track financially to a successful future. So today we're going to revisit these again, um, just to reinforce the principles, to help people know that they're on track or how to get on track. Um, but the baby steps were created by Dave Ramsey. Um, you know, and this is a guy that you know worked his way back from bankruptcy and became a national best-selling author, radio host, and financial expert. Um, and, you know, but these steps uh, to financial stability came from his personal experience and the time he spent teaching others how to save for emergencies, pay off debt for good, and to build wealth. Um, so they've proven themselves over time that these steps do work. Um, so, you know, if you want to do better, be better, and live better with your money, then you're probably looking at what seems to be a mountain of work to get there. So how do you climb that mountain? How do you reach the top? You know, and these baby steps, you take these steps one at a time, they will lead you to success. So we're going to go straight through these with baby step number one. Yeah, I think Dave's brilliance um, is in the RA in these baby steps. I mean, it is so clear for people. And the first one is is very simple. It's baby step one is to save $1,000 for your emergency fund. And Steve, I mean, the fact is, is only 37% of Americans can can pay cash for a $400 emergency. That means 63% of people are, are borrowing or selling something or having to go into debt when, when life happens. And, and as we all know, life happens. I mean, cars break. Um, you know, your child has a, a, a trip to the ER. Your washing machine doesn't work. So you've got to have some cash on hand to pay for these. Otherwise you go into debt and, um, it spirals out of control there. So, so how do you get there? I mean, the first thing, you know, you got to start saving more money and you got to stop spending. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to get to a thousand dollars, but you know, stopping spending is a, is a big deal. 
You can also sell some stuff. You can clip coupons. Um, you know, you can plan your meals. Um, you can, uh, you know, use or sell old gift cards that are laying around. So there's a lot of different ways to do this, but that, you know, that first Dave says it's the easiest step and it's the hardest step and it's the hardest step because you've got to commit to this process. Right. That is very much the first step. And what I was going to say about the baby, about all these baby steps is they're simple, but they're very specific. Yes. You know what I mean? They're clear. They're not ambiguous. No, that's right. Um, so they really point you to specific actions to get you successful. And that first one is key having an emergency fund just the basic emergency fund of a thousand dollars and then after you finish with step one then the next step here step two is to pay off all debt except your house um and using his debt snowball um which i really like and so he says debt is good for one thing one thing only and that's holding you back (laughs) you know so you got to get rid of debt um, but you don't want to be held back. So, you know, you want to thrive and thriving starts with paying down debt. So you've got the thousand dollars saved up, um, so that the next event, you know, or emergency that happens won't make you deeper in debt. So now it's time to attack the debt with a vengeance, um, you know, by, you know, by starting to pay them off yeah. using the snowball. Um, so you got to do that one debt at a time. So what you do is you start with the smallest debt. You move on to the larger debts as you get those paid off. Um, you gain some momentum um, until you deliver that final blow and you're totally debt free. So you're saying you don't pay off the highest interest? Right. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Some I mean, people that, debate Dave on that. That's right. That is the common kind of the common conception that people have is you pay off the highest interest first because that's the one that's costing you the most, right? Um, however, it's not all about money, is it? It's not all about the numbers. Yep, right. Um, if it was about numbers, you wouldn't be in debt in the first place. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's about gaining some momentum. It's about getting yep. excited. It's about seeing progress. Um, and so that's why you want to start with the smallest debt first. And so, uh, and you want to get that one paid off and then you move on to the next one and you take all the money you're paying toward the first debt and you apply it to the second one. Yep. And then you take all the money you were paying to that one and you apply it to the third one. And you keep snowballing those payments until when you get down to the bigger ones, you have more and more money that you can apply to those debts so to you pay get, them off faster. Probably get through it quicker. Exactly. At the end of the day. Exactly. So, so that's the way you do it. Um, that's the debt snowball, and you got to get rid of all the debt of your house um, to really free yourself up to to start you know, moving forward with baby step number three. Yeah. Baby step three is to go back into the emergency fund and fully fund it. So that's three to six months of expenses and, and the debt is gone. Um, and now you're, you know, you're in the, the emergency fund savings categories, baby step three. Uh, and it really is there to stand up against bigger problems like a job loss. So figure out how much money you need to live, you know, bare bones for three to six months. If your regular income went away, um, and, you know, start saving that amount up and you can put it into, uh, you know, a money market account or a savings account, uh, that has check writing privileges. So you can access it when you need it. So three to six months when you have those three steps, man, you're on, you're, you're on your way to, uh, to building tremendous wealth. So that's a very important step. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, you know, you're already in that pattern of savings, um, you're clipping coupons, you're downloading apps, you know, to save money, you're figuring out ways to, to, you know, cut expenses, um, brewing your own coffee at home, maybe, you know, taking a list to the grocery store every time you go. I mean, we talk about things like this all the time. Mm -hmm. There's lots of ways to save money. 
So you're you're doing that. So now you got to build up that emergency fund so that next time you have a crisis, there's you won't be pushed into debt. Even a big crisis like your air conditioning going out in your yeah. house that costs maybe five thousand dollars. You know you're going to have three to six months of expenses ready to apply to that. And those steps can take, you know, a year to two years, those three steps. Right. You know, it depends on how big your debt is and how much of an emergency fund you need. Some people can do it very quickly, but th- those first three steps do take time for some people. That's right. That's right. So now we're ready to move on to step four, and that is the exciting part because that's where you start to invest. And you can invest, you want to invest up to 15%. Um, well, you actually, you want to get to 15% of your household income saved for retirement. Um, so every year you want to be putting away 15%. I mean, we've never run into anybody that was putting away 15% for a substantial amount of time that ran short in retirement. Yep, so that's, right. that's a big step. It will help you be successful for retirement. Um, and it can seem like tomorrow's problem, you know, retirement. So it's easy to put it off. But, um, you know, if you think you're going to leave, you, you can't work for the rest of your life. So, I mean, you got to retire sometime. And the way to get there is by investing 15% of your income in retirement. Um, so, you know, here's kind of a simple breakdown. When you when you start this step, first you look at your employer's 401k plan, um, if you have one, and you invest up to the match. You want to make sure you get the match in the 401k. That's free money. you got to get that. Um, then you open up a Roth IRA. You max that out for as much as you can contribute to your Roth IRA. That's 6000 if you're under 50. It's 7000 if you're over 50, right? And then you hit the max um, that you can in your 401k to get up to that 15%. Um, so you go back to your 401k, you, you put additional in there and, and get all the way up to 15%, including the employer's match. Um, and, and then you're there, you're there. Then you're at the 15%. Um, so it it shouldn't be confusing. You just have to, you just have to kind of go through the process of prioritizing where your money goes. You got to, you know, get on automatic increases if you need to build up to it, but get to that 15% mark because that's going to make you successful for retirement. Yeah. And baby step five, save for your children's college fund. And notice baby step five is after baby step four. Some people get this confused. You know, they save for college before their retirement, but that's not the right order. So Got to save for for college and, and your your kids after you you do the retirement. If you don't have kids, you can obviously skip skip this step. Um, but you know, a lot of people can do baby step four, five, and six at the same time. Um, and so once you have done the fifteen percent for retirement, go start looking at college. You know, five twenty nine plans, ESAs. Um, some people use brokerage accounts. So there's different types of vehicles to to save out there. Um, you know, the goal is, is for your kids to get through college without any debt. And there's ways to do that. Uh, the Ramsey organization provides some really good tools in this area as well. So baby step five, again, is college uh, fund. That's right. And so you look at a 529 plan is probably the most popular um, where you can put almost an unlimited of my money in for kids college. And it comes out totally tax free for college or an education savings account, um, which has a, a tighter limit, but still it's totally tax-free and you can put money in there. Um, as long as it's used for education, it's, it comes out tax-free. Um, but remember, I mean, going to college without debt is possible. Um, there's grants or scholarships. Um, your kids can always you, you go to in-state. Um, we highly recommend you go locally for a couple years. Mm-hmm. To, to really save a lot of money on, you know, on room and board. 
um, and also tuition, but also figure out what you really want to do so you don't waste a lot of money and time at a major university pursuing a degree that you're probably going to change, you know, because a lot of young people change their majors halfway through. Um, so go the first couple years in town uh, locally and, um, you know, save a bunch of money, but figure out how to do it without debt, if at all possible. It is possible. Um, there's lots of resources on Dave Ram's website to, uh, to help you through that. And then baby step number six is to pay your house off early. Mm. Um, so after you've, you're, you've got retirement on track, you've got a proper emergency fund, and you're saving for college, now it's time to tackle the house. Um, average American has a monthly uh, mortgage budget of around $1,400. So what if that disappeared? Um, but you know, not because of magic, but because you paid off your house in full. I mean, you've stopped renting from the lending company, and that home sweet home is yours, truly yours. Um, so it's nearly possible to imagine, but it really is possible to achieve if you follow these steps. So first look into refinancing. Um, if you have a 30-year adjustable rate mortgage, maybe, you know, switch it to a 15-year mortgage. When you refinance, always go to a 15. Try to avoid a 30-year mortgage. People go to 30-year mortgage. They have this intention of paying double or paying extra and paying it off in 15, John, and it almost never happens. Yes, that's right. So you really need to try to force yourself to, to go to a 15-year mortgage. And another tip is to, to make an extra house payment, you know, once per quarter. Um, you'll pay off your mortgage 11 years early if you say, and, and you'll save around $65,000 in interest alone, according to a study that was done. So, um, yeah, I mean, pay off your house. It's a big step. Yeah. And then baby step seven is really cool is build wealth and, and give it away. So now it's time to grow your wealth, uh, beyond your wildest dreams. You don't have any more debt payments or mortgage payments or, or college payments or, you know, your, 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 your wealth is starting to grow and you're in the, probably in the stock market and you're free to give your you know, favorite charities or your church um, additional money above what you've done in the past. So uh, you're in a position uh, to be generous with that. And that's a great, great place to be. And I think that's kind of how Dave kind of, you know, completes the circle on all this. It's, um, it's not to be greedy with money, but it's to be able to be charitable and help other people with it. And I think that's why he's so successful. Yeah, absolutely. And those are just great baby steps. I mean, they're just, again, simple, but they're very specific. Follow those steps. If you follow them, you will be successful in retirement, you know, um, and, and financially just reaching your goals. So, um, all right, great topic. That leads us up here to our next thing, and that is the question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with um, getting back into the market. When should I get back into the market if I went to cash last year? Mm. Well, if you went to cash last year, it means you're kind of a nervous investor. Um, right. So a conservative way to get back in is to, to drip it in. Let's say it's 100000 You could put in $20,000 a month for five months. That would be one, one yeah. option. Yeah. Um, the markets are up 75% of the time. Um, so, you know, what the stats and the studies say is put it all back in at once and um, the odds are with you. doesn't mean it's going right. to go up necessarily. But That's right. Kind of two ways to do it. Yeah, you never know. I mean, what the market's going to do next. But we know in general markets do go up a lot more than they go down. And um, even though you may feel like the market's super high, I'm sure you do. If you had this conversation the past week with clients that that did that that pulled out of the market last year and 
you know, they you always feel like it's even higher now. If you were nervous last year, you're super nervous yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a way to do that is just start off conservative. Start off with maybe only 20% stocks, then move up to 40% stocks and 60% stocks, you know, to get back to a reasonable level of risk um, as you get comfortable with it. But, uh, but yeah, I would say the time to get back in is now. I mean— you you got to do it. You can't just yeah. sit on the sidelines. You're losing to inflation. It's never going to feel right. I mean, there's yeah. always negative news out there. Always negative news. The, the market always feels high unless it's just gone through a correction. Um, so, you know, but it's it can go. I mean, statistically, it's probably going to go another four years before we see another bear market, before we see a real you yeah. know big downturn um, statistically. So. You never know, but you need to go ahead and get your toe back into water yep. and, you know, get going with it. Just do so, it. <laughs> there you go. Good question of the week. And that leads up here to our next topic, and that is um, estate planning mistakes to avoid. Yeah, this is uh, an article out of AARP, John Wagner. And, um, Steve, we see this a lot. We have, uh, you know, couples that come in that are, are on their second marriage, sometimes just because one of the uh, spouses uh, passed away or sometimes it's divorce. And, you know, there's typically children or, or other heirs involved. And, um, you know, you should really consider carefully what, what's going to happen to your money and, and possessions when you pass on. So you can obviously never guarantee that uh, the blended family is going to be happy with what you come up with when you have a second marriage. But at least you can avoid some mistakes um, so that you get your immediate family and you make sure they're not shut out uh, of an inheritance uh, or worse that an ex-spouse gets an inheritance that you didn't plan on giving. So I think most people mean well. I mean, they want their spouse to inherit their possessions when they die and they want their heirs to split what's left when the spouse passes away. Um, they want everyone, including their children and their spouse to be happy. So no one wants to have, you know, family conflict, but uh, boy, I tell you, we see it. <laughs> You know, and if you don't do the right steps, and and I think one of the big things that's not on here really, and it's kind of embedded in here, is communicate and talk about it. It's very important. But mistake number one, we we do see periodically. Yeah, mistake number one is not changing your beneficiaries. You know, when you have a life change, um, we see this, you know, pretty frequently. You know, when somebody gets, particularly when they get divorced and get remarried, Mm -hmm. you know, they they will forget to go change their beneficiaries, or when the spouse passes away, or Something major like that, um, you know, people won't update their wills. They won't update their beneficiary designations on their retirement plan. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's quite a shock, you know, whenever you sit down with, uh, you know, somebody, a client with their new spouse, and you ask them if they change their beneficiaries, and you find out the first spouse is still on the uh, beneficiary yeah. designation. That's Doesn't not go a good feeling. Well. Doesn't go over too well, so you want to get that taken care of. Yeah, one advantage of changing the name of the beneficiary is that the money will go directly to the intended person. Uh, you know, a lot of times the surviving spouse, and it doesn't have to go through probate. Um which is, you know, the legal process for settling an estate. So you should really go through all your financial accounts, checking, savings, retirement, uh, insurance, to make sure that your spouse is designated, uh, your current spouse is designated as a beneficiary, if that's your intention. Um, You know, you also want to make sure, like I mentioned, the life insurance, because that bypasses probate as well. Uh, You can designate your, your children as secondary beneficiaries, so they will receive the assets in the event that you both have died. So you can make sure make sure you put your contingent beneficiaries on the accounts as well. It's so mistake number one, big one, the beneficiaries. Mistake number two is not changing 
or updating your will. And although changing your beneficiaries on the financial documents avoids leaving your 401k balance to your ex-spouse, um, your will determines who gets the rest of your assets and your spouse, um, you know, what you've accumulated over your lifetime. So you probably don't want your ex-spouse to get your home either. So the will is another step that you have to take a look at. Yeah, that's really key is changing your will um, and updating it periodically. I mean, typically, you know, people on their second marriage, they decide that the surviving spouse will get all the assets upon death, um, their current spouse. And, um, you know, and then the remaining assets will be divided equally among their children. You know, this assumes, of course, that, you know, in five or 20 years, everyone will still be getting along. (laughs) And, you know, that your spouse upon your death won't write a new will that kind of shuts you out, you know, your side of the family. Um, But you could also draw up a contract that would require the surviving spouse to maintain the will as it is. Um, And some state lawyers will use that, um, you know, and they'll have, um, you know, the contracts, they do have drawbacks. Mm -hmm. So you'll want to talk to an estate attorney whenever you're going to do that kind of, uh, that kind of thing, put Q-tip provisions, I think, in the wills, what they call that. Um, But, you know, I mean, you just got to, you got to get it current for your situation. Yeah. Um, And the the way to really do that is to go see an attorney and and get that updated. Yeah. Make sure you, make sure you update the will. That's mistake number two. Mistake number three is um, sometimes, you know, treating all heirs equally is not recommended. And most spouses aren't financial equals um, when they marry. And this is particularly true for second marriages. Uh, So if your new spouse moves into your home, for example, you may want your children to get the proceeds when the house is sold rather than the spouse or your spouse's children. Uh, Similarly, if you brought more assets to the marriage, you may want that money to go to your heirs versus your spouse's heirs. So these things, you know, they're, they're sticky, but you got to talk about them. Um, So there's no rule that says all the children have to be treated equally. There's a number of reasons why parents don't treat children equally. Sometimes it's an unfortunate situation um, with a, a disability. And in that case, there are some, accounts out there, whether it's a trust or there's an ABLE account as well that it can be used to uh, put money into. So, um, you know, this is a this is a sticky topic <laughs> with people when we ask them yes, and they haven't is. talked about it because it, it's there's family dynamics involved. There are. And sometimes you see spouses disagree on, on these things. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's due to conduct, you know, yeah. a child, you know, they may have a gambling problem or suffer some, some, some kind of addiction or, you know, compulsive spender. Um, some parents simply decide that after death, you know, they're going to be, the children are, are responsible, you know, for their own actions. And if they lose their inheritance, so be it. Um, but other times, you know, parents want to put some constraints in, yep. in, in place and they want to have a trust to kind of dole the money out you know, over, over time. And I've seen that work very well. Um, if it's done properly. Like so kind of like the, uh, Britney Spears. Exactly. Conservatorship. Yeah, conservatorship. Well, that, <laughs> that is a mess. apparently hadn't worked so well. No, but. no, that's not, uh, not good. But, mm. um, mistake number four is, uh, waiting until you're gone to give. I really like this one. If you're planning to leave money to your children or to a, a nonprofit, uh, you might consider giving it to them now rather than in your will. I mean, you'll get the pleasure of seeing them use the money while you're still on the planet. And, um, you know, you can do that per the IRS guidelines. You can do 15000 per person. Um, so if you're married, that means you could do each spouse could do that. So that's 30000 per child. And if that child is married, you can do 30000 to the 
to the um, spouses um, or to your child's spouse. So you can do up to sixty thousand dollars per couple. Right. If you have four kids, I mean, you can um, you can give almost a quarter of a million dollars away. And we actually I saw that this. This week I met with a client and um, his parents are in their 80s and they have a couple million dollars and they're doing exactly this. They're going to start giving the money um, out versus when they're gone. So that's mistake number four. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that and that works very well. And uh, I think that's a good move. And then the last mistake here is skipping the attorney. Um, You know, I mean, if your assets are few and your circumstances are very simple, um, you can probably get away with going online and drafting the will yourself. You know, a simple will. Uh, you know, it, it could be a very inexpensive option and it beats having no will at all. Um, but if you're older and you're on your second marriage or, you know, or you have, you know, a little more complicated situation, um, ex-spouses, blended families, that kind of stuff. I mean, you certainly, it gets a little more complicated and, um, you know, or if you have a special needs child or something like that, or an aging parents that you want to take care of, um, you certainly want to, want to take the time and the money to go through an estate plan um, drawn up by professionals. So we definitely recommend, you know, yeah. seeking an attorney for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. There's obviously some additional costs there, but um, getting the, the right, you know, set up and the comfort of knowing that uh, that you have your wishes on paper um, is very, very important. So, uh, yeah, take a look at have some good lawyers locally that can help you out with that. Absolutely. So. All right, good topic. That brings us to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, we're running into this more and more parents caring for their parents. So, um, you know, folks in their 50s and 60s taking care of their parents that are in their 80s and 90s. And uh, one in particular uh, recently I spoke with um, is caring for her 94-year-old mother. And it's really, it's very difficult to give full-time care to another human being. Obviously, we do it when we're young with our kids, but when you start taking care of your parents, and it's just, uh, it's very difficult. So there's some really good resources um, locally. Um, long-term care liaisons is a great organization locally that can help you figure out the different resources available. But, you know, you may use some of mom or dad's money, or you may have to use some of your money to have someone come into the house to give you some relief and, and spell you so you can be healthy and you know, live a, a comfortable life as well. So just use some resources out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say from personal experience, we used a long-term care li- liaison for my mom mm-hmm. to help decide where, what to do, when to put her into, a you know, assisted living and how to get her the help that she needed. And I can tell you kind of the number one benefit that I saw from that is it takes the emotional strain of that decision yeah. off of you and your siblings. That's good. Because, you know, I mean, you, you, you have... You feel there, guilty. There's a lot of emotion there. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, conflict usually between siblings about, you know, should you or should you not? Should you leave them in the home, bring somebody in, or should you t- send them somewhere? And you, you bring in a professional, you know, it doesn't cost that much. I mean, I think it was maybe $500. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they do a really detailed evaluation and they know all the facilities in the area. They know all the different different, you know, types of care you can get. And and they can tell you exactly what where would be the best facility for that particular person, you know, based on their personality. And it just takes all that emotion away. And so, I mean, it's just and then all of a sudden everybody's on the same page. So I I can just tell you from experience, that's a no brainer. Good five hundred dollars spent. Sounds like. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. 
Good prescription of the week. All right, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. Send us your questions or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.